The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Tuesday 15th of August, I'm Tim Spears and today we're asking... Why have Liverpool missed out to Chelsea on yet another transfer? They had a number of offers submitted and rejected and the perception was that they were the front runners. Why has Roberto Mancini left Italy? It has subsequently emerged that of course the Saudi FA have been coveting Roberto Mancini. And what should we expect in the World Cup semi-finals? Spain tend to build up play down the left. Sweden will play a little bit on the break. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. Another day, another midfielder who's agreed to join Chelsea instead of Liverpool. This time, Romeo Lavia, who is expected to swap Southampton for Stamford Bridge in a deal worth more than £50 million, or $63 million. The 19-year-old Belgium international, just like Moises Caicedo, was a subject of bids from both Chelsea and Liverpool. He's now agreed to join Mauricio Pochettino's side, and an agreement between the two clubs is expected to be finalised soon, taking Chelsea spending this summer to more than £300 pounds. Jurgen Klopp wanted him as a replacement for Fabinho, so why can't the Reds get a signing over the line? And where will Lavia fit in at Chelsea? Here were the answers is the man who's been all over this and every other transfer story this summer, Mr David Ornstein. David, the Premier League is an incredibly competitive transfer market, but this is a little embarrassing for Liverpool, isn't it? Well, certainly the possibility of losing out on both Caicedo and Lavia became one that Liverpool were facing up to in recent days. And they'll reflect on Caicedo probably not as regretfully as Lavia because Caicedo, they were kind of late entrance into the contest. And Chelsea was always quite well known to be the player's preference. However, on Lavia, they had a number of offers submitted and rejected and the perception was that they were the front runners and they just needed to push that little bit more to get things done. Liverpool's recruitment operation has been lauded for such a long time but since Michael Edwards departed as sporting director things have maybe not gone as smoothly as prior and now they're experiencing a real test of their mettle. So have the changes in sporting director at Liverpool hindered them this summer? Well, it's impossible to say what impact the sporting director merry-go-round has had at Anfield because we're not inside. And so Michael Edwards did a really good job, but there were others there as well who supported him. He had Julian Ward as his assistant, who then stepped up to become the main man himself. They had Ian Graham, who was the head of research. And then no sooner had Julian Ward taken the top job, it was announced he would be leaving. Liverpool set about trying to find replacements. A number of names came and went before Schmatka was appointed. And it seems to be a relatively short-term stint. And then whenever it may be that Schmatka departs, Liverpool will presumably be looking for another sporting director. So what was a model of stability now appears to the outside world to be one of instability, change and 
a lack of consistency and perhaps that has hampered them. And what about Chelsea and Lavia? Another player they've chased all summer, so this is another key signing. Chelsea will be delighted to have made this progress with Romeo Lavia. They'll now, of course, hope to close out the transfer. He's regarded as one of the foremost young players in Europe in his position, 19 years old, already a Belgium international. We've seen glimpses of him at Southampton in particular that really impress the way in which he takes to the role and the clear quality he has now and the signs he's displaying for the future. We haven't seen him truly tested and this will be a real step up. But to have strengthened their team with Moises Caicedo and Romeo Lavia, with Enzo Fernandez already there, they're looking ominous in that department as they continue this jaw-dropping rebuild of the team, the squad, the club, on and off the pitch. It's unrecognisable from before. They've still got more work to do, ins and outs, in this window. This would be yet another vital, in their eyes, piece in the jigsaw. For more on Chelsea and how on earth they're doing this, then make sure you subscribe to the Athletic Football Podcast as Ayo Akinwaleri will be talking more on this very subject. And while we're on the Premier League, Manchester United began their campaign with a 1-0 victory over Wolves at Old Trafford thanks to Rafael Varane's second half win. Meanwhile, both before and during the game, some United fans protested against the ownership of the Glazers, while others urged the club to not bring back striker Mason Greenwood after his time out of the sport following allegations of rape and assault which have been dropped. Roberto Mancini could become the latest high-profile name to move to Saudi Arabia after his shock resignation from the Italian national side. Mancini, who guided the Azzurri to their Euro 2020 triumph when beating England at Wembley two years ago, leaves Italy shortly after a shake-up of staff roles within the national setup. He has been linked with the Saudi Arabian national team job. But where does this leave Italy? And who might lead them to the defence of their European title in Germany next summer? Here to tell us more is the Athletic's don of Italian football, James Horncastle. James, has Mancini really just traded in his national team for Saudi Arabian money? It came out of nowhere. And yeah, it wasn't after a failure to qualify for the World Cup. It wasn't after elimination from a major tournament or losing, for example, the semifinals of the Nations League to Spain earlier in June. It was on a long bank holiday weekend in Italy. And when Mancini Instagrammed to say thank you to the Italian Football Federation and yeah, thanks for the memories, guys, he offered no explanation. But it has subsequently emerged that, of course, the Saudi Pro League, the Saudi FA have been coveting Roberto Mancini and that there is an offer of 18 million euro on the table. 18 million euro a year, Gazzetta dello Sport say. And it remains to be seen whether Mancini takes it. Who's going to follow in Mancini's footsteps? There are two outstanding candidates available for Gabriele Gravina to pick. One is Antonio Conte, who's been there and done that. He left the national team job on a high in Euro 2016 after unfortunately going out on penalties to Germany after Graziano Pelle and Simone Zaza made some terrible choices with their penalty uh, kicks. If they got through that, I think... A lot of people felt that Italy would have won that European Championship. Now, with Conte, his salary is quite prohibitive. It would probably need topping up by some sponsors. 
So the guy in pole position is no other than Luciano Spalletti, the bald Tuscan who just led Napoli to the first league title in 33 years. Didn't need Maradona to do it. He is on sabbatical at the moment on his Tuscan farm, which is just a stone's throw away from Coveciano, which is the national team headquarters on the outskirts of Florence. Now, Spalletti is still technically under contract with Napoli. He has a non-compete clause, which means that the Italian Football Federation would have to pay 3.25 million in order to get him out of it. But the Italian Football Federation is saying, well, non-compete, what do you mean non-compete? We're a national team. We're not a club. We're not competing with you. So do us a favor. And it remains to see if Napoli do the Italian Football Federation a favour because Spalletti at this moment in time is, to many people's mind, the right person to take the Azzurri on to the European Championships. And talking of Saudi Arabia, Neymar underwent a medical yesterday ahead of a proposed move to Al-Hilal on a two-year contract. The 31-year-old is set to leave Paris Saint-Germain after six years at the club. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Finally, the World Cup reaches the semi-final stages today as Sweden take on Spain for a place in the final. Wednesday, we'll see yet another chapter in the Australia v England sporting occasions of 2023. More on that tomorrow, though. This year, we're guaranteed to see a new country lift the World Cup. So, will either of these European giants, Spain or Sweden, be able to get their hands on the trophy? With me to preview this match, it's Michael Cox, who's out in Sydney. Michael, tactically speaking, what are we to expect from this fixture? Well, the easiest way to answer this question is that if you haven't seen any of Sweden or Spain so far in this competition, but you know how Sweden and Spain's men's team would contest this fixture, imagine what would happen there, and this is pretty much the same kind of thing. Spain will almost certainly dominate possession. They have done in every game, even in their 4-0 loss to Japan in the group stage when they showed they really can only play one way. Spain tend to build up play. Down the left, there's a bit of a rotation going on with the central midfielder, the winger and the fullback. And they tend to offer more penetration from the right where Alba Redondo, who is a goal-scoring winger, she finished the top goal scorer in Liga F last year. She's come into the side midway through the tournament, really, and has provided the major goal threat. Sweden will play a little bit on the break, particularly the pace of Stina Blackstinius in behind the opposition uh, could be a real threat. Also worth pointing out that Fridolina Rolfer, the left winger, uh, scored the winning goal for Barcelona in last season's Champions League. So she'll be a threat too. Spain were in disarray before the tournament started. Is it a surprise to see them progress this far? Yeah, it's been difficult to know what to make of Spain throughout this tournament. Um, there's been disagreements with the federation and with the manager. Their best goalkeeper, their best centre-back and their best holding midfielder are all absent because they didn't want to be part of this tournament. They've played some great football so far. Then again, they lost 4-0 to Japan in the group stage and Japan in turn were completely outplayed by Sweden in the knockout stage. So it's slightly strange that Spain probably go into this game as slight favourites, but they've still got an excellent side. Alexia Puteas, who is the reigning Ballon d'Or holder, probably won't start. She spent most of the season injured, has come back, but hasn't really been able to show her best form. So the best player really has been Aitana Bonmati, her Barcelona midfield colleague who's been Quite close to the best player in the tournament so far, I think, although she was marked out of the game against the Netherlands. I'd also give a, a bit of praise to Mariona Caldente, who was brought in by Vilda for the second round game against the Netherlands, and she was excellent. Uh, so she could be a threat here. And one thing Sweden manager Peter Gerhardsen is known for is some fun press conferences. Well, as fun as press conferences can be. What's he been saying ahead of this match? 
Yeah, Peter Gerhardson is uh, quite the character. Uh, he compared his players to bumblebees. <laughs> basically saying that he wants them to press very high up. That's probably what they're best at. I'd say Kosova Aslani, who plays as the number 10, but wears number nine. She's really this side's leader. And even though she's in a creative position, what she does really well is helps to box opponents in towards the touchlines. And Sweden did that really well against Japan, um, having looked pretty average, I would say, in open play during the group stage. Suddenly they outplayed Japan, who until that point had been the best team in the tournament by quite a distance. Gerhardsen also ended that press conference by trying to leave through the exit door, but he got the wrong door and sadly ended up in a cleaning cupboard. You can hear more from Michael over on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, which is available after both semi-finals. And speaking of the World Cup, it's telly time. Here's what you need to know. It's Spain against Sweden. It's a 9am kickoff in the UK and they play at Eden Park. It'll be live on BBC One. There are a number of Champions League second leg qualifiers later with the likes of PSV, Marseille, Galatasaray and Rangers in action with several games being screened on TNT in the UK and on Paramount Plus in the States. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. I've been Tim Spears. Your producer was Abby Patterson and your executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If this was your first time listening, then thank you. Make sure you subscribe. Feel free to drop us a review and let us know your views. Michael Bailey will be back with you tomorrow morning. In the meantime, have a great day. The Athletic.